0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Close Podcast. I am Cooper Knowlton. I am joined today uh, by Lee Bergstein and we are very pleased to have Stephen Wendell joining us. Stephen is the founder and CEO of Mountain Shore Properties, which is a national real estate development company that has a record of successful commercial and residential property projects spanning hospitality, multifamily, and more. Um, since 1983, they've developed 25 in 25 different cities, uh, and including that includes 28 different hotels. Um, so, first off, Stephen, thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, and and thought maybe we could just start off by having you give us a brief uh, background. I gave the the 20 second version of who you are and what you do, but maybe you could expand on that a little bit um, just for
1: our for our listeners. Give the 40-second the 40 40, version instead of the 20-second. Yeah, you know,
2: essentially, we're a, a real estate development, commercial real estate development company that uh, has been around since 1983. I point that date. My dad opened his first hotel in August of 83, which was the month I was born. They did the 13th Hampton Inn in the country in the, in the mid-80s and uh, has evolved since my involvement around 2010. Um, and we have built... All different commercial properties in uh, a dozen or so states across the Mid Atlantic Southeast, and uh, are continuing to do so today. And he is still very much uh, involved. Cool. Um, that was that was forty seconds. That, that was exactly was forty seconds. That was
1: perfect. Awesome. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to dive into the um, the uh, national and and more local trends in a minute. But I guess I'm curious when I hear about. The um, the scope of the projects you work on from a ge- from a geographical standpoint. How yeah. does the company identify opportunities where you want to invest, and in? what are some of the factors you take into account?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think it's more out of a selfish desire to never be in one place at once. By me is how we started doing it that way. But um, also, you could pick one great market and do eleven hotels. But I think you know, even though we're real estate developers, fairly risk averse, and so it just started being let's look at other markets and I think one of the things that I have taken the baton since I came around in 2010-11 and and started working in this space and and doing it is that hey let's build these select service hotels and now we're building you know boutique hotels but let's let's go to these really great kind of college secondary tertiary markets east of the Mississippi just because that's where we're, we're located so then you do some studies and you figure out that maybe there's 20, 25 that are identifiable. You pick five that you, you think are on the right trend, and then you go go to work by going to those markets, trying to find a broker and uh, that trusts you, that, that, that will work with an out-of-towner, and and then you and then you do it enough times and then you get a ton of credibility the next market you go to because it's like, oh my gosh, this group has developed really successful properties and Tallahassee, Nashville, Charlottesville, Chattanooga, like they're going to do it here too. And so um, it's it's a lot of boots on the ground. It's not very scalable. Um, it's really hard to delegate that from myself. And so what I need to do is delegate the other tasks in the firm to other people that can be delegated to give me more time to develop because it's really hard to operate and develop at the same time. How unique is that? Is that model? I feel like most. most- I think it's pretty unique. I, I know when we went out to raise money for our first ever fund, everything's been done deal by deal, um, you know, historically. And then once COVID hit, it made us think about assets together. And I said, you know, we just we just need to raise a fund. And we know who our investors are, but we went out and talked to non friends and family, non non family offices that had already invested with us. It kind of was like, well, wait a minute, you, you're not. Just multifamily in this, you're not just one uh, asset type and you're not in one city. It was like, I think, pretty rare. Um, And so I think the knock on it is that it's not that scalable. Like you can't do this across, you know, $500 million across, you know, unless you really scale up. But for us, um, I think that uniqueness is what makes us a little bit, you know, attractive to an investor. And then I think it gives us. What it does really is it allows us to view markets that are on the up really easier almost than the locals of those markets. Like we just did Louisville, we just opened that hotel in, in in May and I was there in late 19 and it was like, okay, like I got it, I know where this city is going. And I'm not sure everybody in Louisville at that time would have said that the city's going that way, but you can have developed in Nashville or having developed in Charleston, Understand more easily when a city is on the up and where it's going, almost than some of the locals who are just biased by being there every day. And so, um, I think that's one of the areas where it gives us an advantage when we're looking at a at a, at a new market.
1: It sounds like you you kind of take a thirty thousand foot view of the country, look for the best opportunities, and then dive in. Whereas yep. you don't get pigeonholed and say, "Okay, we're just doing upstate New York, or we're just doing Charleston," and then that's you're. Right. Kind of hamstrung by what opportunities are actually available there. You're you don't have that obstacle for your company.
2: Sounds that sounds that, like. that's correct. And then I think one of the things is that we'll lead with hotel. Like I can I can I don't want to say I can build a hotel anywhere, but generally speaking, like we can get it done and understand where a market is trending and where the cool spots are and where we want to go. What it's harder to do is figure out where to you know build an office uh, pre pandemic and post-pandemic, possibly nowhere, but, um, you know, then we, multifamily, all these different asset types require a little bit more local knowledge. So either we have to have lived in the city, uh, like Charleston, or we develop a hotel in the city like Nashville. We learn so much about the city through the process of developing that. And we make uh, contacts on the ground that we can say, hey, if there's another opportunity, and then, you know, people will bring them, you don't know where it's always going to come from. So Nashville is a great example. We did a hotel first, But then we did a multifamily and then we did an office. Um, And so there's probably six to eight cities where I will do all asset types. And hopefully that list grows through time. Um, But oftentimes the hotel is the, the beachhead that you land on. So, uh, one of the reasons that we were kind of
0: most interested to have you on, and we're most excited to have this conversation, is because you are you you, you do you know you have worked in so many different cities across the country, and um, as kind of a, a jumping off point about a, a, to a conversation about the the tourism and hotel industry, um, maybe you could give us sort of a, a quick a quick glance of like what the national trends are and and how the the state of Hotels. I, I assume it it varies quite a bit from city to city, and and some of the you know secondary cities might be very different from New York. But um, maybe we can sort of we're going to I think hone in hopefully on New York and and compare New York to the rest of the country. But maybe we could just yeah. start off just sort of talking about like how tourism and the hotel industry looks from the thirty thousand foot view.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and again, I'm I'm we operate and have these assets on the eastern side, but I'm very aware of what some of my friends and colleagues and competitors have and you know what's going on and obviously well up to date on what's happening nationally. It's really quite crazy that, that, you know, obviously 20 was insane and we dealt with that, but especially in these drive-to markets, it really uptick obviously quickly. And then we had what I would call the insane summer of 21 till summer of 22. Just everyone is revenge traveling and You've got places as high scale as Amangiri in Utah, charging a bajillion dollars a night, and it's 100% occupied. Uh, and then you know, campsite, you know, national park places, and all of these places just experiencing insane demand. You've got everybody buying a second home to turn it into an Airbnb, and and that was almost like, as the economy was recovering, we were having bubblish behavior in the sector that was one of the sectors that was most heavily impacted. I mean, office obviously impacted more. And hospitality, but that led to people, I think, making some incorrect decisions. And what it really led to is everyone assuming that twenty twenty three was going to be another like just gigantic leap forward, and, and it hasn't been. I think everyone overestimated the, the travel of the summer. What's kind of crazy, and this is just not applying to everyone, but the especially the, the boutique hotels uh, of the world who expected a bunch of travel again this summer. Americans went to Europe. I mean, like an insane amount of, of tourism left the country. And usually in past years, we would have reciprocal tourism from international coming back into this country, but because of all the different ways people have dealt with COVID and all that it's, it's down and and, and the international travel coming back in has not matched. So you've seen hotels kind of, um, have to deal with that, and, and the reason that's impactful is you, you you plan for a certain occupancy and you kind of staff up to that, and then it's lower than that. It kind of double hits you. Not only did you not get the revenue, you probably have more costs than you than you should have had for that. And um, so people are dealing with renormalization of of top line revenue, which I think is a good thing because we're we're in that, but they're also dealing with. Uh, increased labor costs and increased labor count, right? A lot of the margins looked really good in 21 and 22 because we had better performance than we thought. And labor was still really low because we were kind of telling the customer COVID, like we can't have that many people, we can't service your room. And like everyone was kind of understanding of that. That is no longer the case. And, And so we have compressed margins, revenue on the top line is not as high as you really wanted it to. And then, if you've got someone refinancing a mortgage, a a, a note on on a property that was at three and a half percent, and now it's at seven and a half or eight, you know, it's just a much different environment now. And so, what you're seeing is everyone being extremely cautious. You know, folks like us that develop, we are—I don't know how much is going to get developed over the next eighteen months. Um, There's a lot of people planning projects because I think they want to be ready to go when it feels ready to go. But you're also now seeing. People going out and, and looking for some stuff on the discount now that we're at, you know, a new normal in, in, in numbers and they can feel like they can underwrite it properly. It's funny. I remember
1: in 2021, my wife and I were planning a like a short trip to Montauk and we, yeah. were, look, we were looking at some hotels and a lot of the reviews for one hotel, which I won't name, was there's no staff. You're going to have to wait like 45 minutes for a drink. And we're like, all right, whatever yeah let's go anyway typically like i won't wait 30 seconds for anything before that's i get right. because i'm a standard new yorker who wants everything yesterday that's right and uh yeah so it's fine i didn't even put two and two together about that but i, I definitely had my own experience
2: yeah and we're reverting to the mean because that's what things do in, in this world and so we're you know, yeah, we were happy to be alive and, and travel. And now it's like, well, you know, I'd like my martini uh, like properly dirty and shaken and and I need it quickly. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the th- things kind of go back to the way they were.
1: You, you would think the phrase revenge travel is not a sustainable business model.
2: There you go. There you go. Um, I do think, t- to, to be clear, though, the pandemic has changed travel trends for sure. Uh, I believe that people are more appreciative of being able to travel and, and will remember that, that had to go through that. And then most notably is just the freedom of workspace. And even in this back to office movement, which I think generally is needed to get, you know, finan- uh, corporate financial districts back to where they need to be. But Thursday's the new Friday. So you can you can, no one's gonna not let you work from somewhere else on a Friday, I think for a long time. And so you're seeing people move, go ahead and travel on the Thursday, stay Thursday night, work from their hotel room while the family goes and does something else. And then boom, the weekend starts at three o'clock or as soon as they can get off on Friday. That is a big trend that we've seen. Yeah. So how
0: does, how does New York to, to shift back to New York? um, How does New York sort of fit into these larger trends? I mean, New York in so many ways is, is always an outlier in, in almost everything and, and wondering um, how you see New York sort of fitting into that national puzzle.
2: Yeah, I mean, the city is, again, from someone that hasn't developed an asset there, but has lived there for over a decade. Obviously, we have a hotel now in upstate New York. The trend there is, is so much is so interesting. First, it's heavily reliant on international travel, which I just mentioned is, is not as high as it was. So that has to return to full. M- most of the assets developed in, that, in the city are, are meant to run as full close to full occupancy as you can, because that's what it's done historically. And that's how the, the financing gets done. So there's a lot of pressure on that. Obviously, you have huge labor costs in general. And then you have if your union hotel even even, even larger. But um, it is definitely trending back in a way that's better than these other large cities that have struggled, whether it's Chicago, San Francisco, L.A. I do think New York, you know, I mean, you read articles from 2020. It was like, it's over. You know, might as well just detonate a bomb in the city it's it's all over and it's like no like York feels very active when you go out right now uh anywhere on a on a on a weeknight on a a weekend night I think you know this move with Airbnb getting crunched down on is is really to that point where hotels need to run 95 percent for the numbers to work and with any type of depressed travel whether it be international tourism and then you know corporate travel just being limited and and maybe never getting back to where it was before or only getting 90% of the way back or 85% of the way back well then how do we solve to get you know these new york hotels to to top occupancy i think that's where you're seeing some of this you know rulings on airbnb kind of come out that way but i definitely think it's moving back closer to to where it needs to be and and if some of the hotels get cycled out and and repurposed okay it's a crazy world though where new york's got all these things where it has to run full occupancy there's these things that make it hard, but there's people building hotels like crazy in New York because it's New York City. It's the most popular, amazing city in the United States. So, uh, And the the hotel is also a different asset. Like no one really builds trophy apartments. People build trophy hotels that that are okay breaking even. And so, uh, you know, they're like sports teams, right? They Mm -hmm. break even financially year to year, but they're still going up in value, you know? And so there's always going to be some of that in one of the most famous cities in the world and certainly, you know, historically one of the most popular in our, in our country.
1: Although you don't, know, you, you talk about the asset going up and up, but you just from reading articles, you, there's uh, this idea, I think that um, you can get deals on hotels in New York city right now. Uh, well, sure. So this might be kind of a unique time it's in the
2: period that mostly, is, I think largely somewhat driven by, the numbers being depressed because of what's happened, but you've got this interest rate situation that what's interesting is that you don't want to say no one saw it coming. I mean, the fed was pretty blatant about it coming. So uh, I just think we've never had a period where so much is happening, like March of 20, when this like went down, it are three years removed, you know, and, and like, think of all the things that have happened. Just, macroeconomically, both in, you know, in the world, and in the United States, interest rates at zero, and now they're at, you know, five and a half. And it's just, it's the velocity and the speed at which it has all happened. And a development project, a great one sometimes takes four to five years to even get open. So like we, we've we had a world of cycles, like years of cycles and, and not even a time it takes to get a development project off the ground and open. And so it's really hard for the developer to to, or, or the the, the, the owner to, to react to that. And, you know, what you're seeing also is like, there's probably assets that could be foreclosed on, but like, what is the bank going to do? You know, they're going to take it back and know how to operate it and and, and suddenly magically take commercial rent occupancy to 100 or, or hotel occupancy to 95. No. So there's going to be a lot of, I think, workouts uh, because there just has to be. And, um, you know, we'll see how long they can keep rates here. I, my belief is that um in the next 12 to 18 there's got to have some movement back downwards um because i just it's not you know real estate's not the only industry in the world obviously but this industry right now is tough at these interest rates um
1: yeah i I wanted to talk really quickly about airbnb you you, you mentioned (coughs) the crackdown what are, you, what are you talking about specifically with respect to Airbnb? Or- well,
2: I, I so the ruling that came out, and I apologize ahead of time, but I don't have it exactly right, but it seemed like it went from like a soft policing to, hey, you need to be owner-occupied, meaning that if you're going to rent your place, you need to live in it. Um, and I don't know if that means actually live in it or have like a three-bedroom over a one and you rent the one. But – and that now Airbnb itself – Is susceptible to fines, and that that they're actually going to enforce it and make it harder to to get new permits. And so, with I mean, and to me, that just seems like a reaction where the hotel industry is like, "Hey, we got it. You got to." And I understand that as someone who's owned Airbnbs, I've I've you know owned these hotels and I've done Airbnb projects as well. And you know, the the argument from the hotel owner is like, "You you're essentially selling a hotel room, and you don't have to go through all the registration and rigmarole of of." What we have to 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 have a hotel room, so it's just not fair. Um, and I think in some extreme cases that's true. Ie, company rents an entire apartment building, hundred rooms, and re-rents it out as a hotel, but doesn't have to go through the same rules. It is a hotel. Someone owns a second apartment across the street, and they live on in Brooklyn, right? And they got one apartment, they got another apartment. They're not owner occupied, but they kind of are owner managing it. I think they should be able to rent that on Airbnb or rent it out full time. And so I think some of that stuff has to be worked out. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's really an interesting landscape where Airbnb changed the game on all of that and has now such a wide audience, a huge booking engine. And, you know, sometimes that's the most preferred path for staying. So I'm an advocate of it existing for sure, uh, both as, a, as an owner and a consumer, but I definitely can see the point of, ho- of a hotel owner of it being somewhat unfair. Although the pricing of Airbnb is getting, when you add on all the fees and the cleaning fee and everything, it's, it's expensive in, in a lot of cases.
1: So, I feel like there have been a few false starts with the city policing Airbnb more aggressively. I feel like there's been five different times
0: where everyone's been like, exactly. Oh, this it passes really the path happened. Airbnb. You could probably find like twenty different articles over the course of the last five years where it's like this move by the legislature spells the end of Airbnb and like Airbnb just manages to somehow pivot right. and maneuver around it.
2: And yeah. 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 This one seems like, hey, we're serious this time, but uh well, I guess we'll see. This
1: time it's real.
2: You know what they, what
1: happens when they say that? (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Um, have you noticed, have there been kind of similar, um, crackdowns in other big cities that are kind of looking to revitalize the hotel industry or is New York city standalone?
2: Uh, yes. And I, and I know, um, you know, San Francisco probably gets a little immune given that's where it was founded, but in Nashville, when we were doing the hotel, uh, I actually bought an apartment building that was in, uh, 12 South that had seven apartments up on top of retail that I thought were better suited as Airbnbs. And I got caught in the middle of that where the city like changed their rules midstream and made it harder. I ended up having to argue for like 12 months to, cause I was grandfathered in, but they were like, you're not grandfathered in and I had to argue with them about that. So I've seen it there. Um, and I, I you know, I think it'll continue to happen until we get to some equilibrium, But ultimately what's interesting now is the consumer's in control Um, and the same consumer could want an Airbnb when they are traveling for a week and want that kitchen and, and want to be left alone. And then they're traveling for a weekend by themselves. They want to have room service in a hotel. It's great that there's multiple options. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing that, that these property owners can get, you know, additional income for, for their, for their space. I do hear. The housing challenges and, and, and you see that happen, especially in small towns like we we're originally from Fayetteville, West Virginia, where it's become a national park and all this stuff got bought up, which is not a big supply of homes to begin with to re-rent out to people. So now anybody that lives there can't afford the house. That stuff is, is bad and, and kind of needs to be, you know, regulated in some way. But, um, you know, consumer at the end of the day is in control.
0: What've we, we've, we've chatted with some people about um, adaptive reuse and, and conversions of buildings from you know, banks and warehouses into, into hotel spaces and um, various other housing projects. And curious um, just kind of from the big picture, when, when you're looking at deals, uh, are you mm-hmm. generally looking at conversions? Are you generally looking at um, you know ground up projects? Are you looking at adaptive reuse? like what's kind of the landscape
2: of, of the deal flow right now? Most of what we've done historically is is ground up, new development. We have done some adaptive reuse. We're looking at one right now that's part ground up, part adaptive reuse in Madison, Wisconsin. And then, of course, upstate New York was an old motor lodge that's been around for 100 years. And I can tell you after doing that adaptive reuse, uh, I don't have a humongous appetite to do a bunch of adaptive reuses in the middle of nowhere um it was very very difficult easily the hardest project from a construction standpoint i've ever uh, undertaken it's not even close but um most of what we do is new new development and you know for us too even if we're building a select service hotel in a small college town where a lot of people might do a stick built thing we'll, we'll build it concrete um it's just a better product long term and, and you know you, you, we want it to be around for a while so you know we tend to tend to gravitate probably. 85, 90% of our stuff is new development, new construction.
1: Just to to keep on the uh, upstate New York um, property, I was kind of interested in that.
2: Um it looks like it's in Catskills, right? Yeah, Camp Town and Catskills. It's it's in technically in Leeds, which is a town within Catskills in Green County, just across uh, the Hudson River from from Hudson, New York. So we're not gonna do we're not gonna do um, all of your properties, but for this one, give
1: us a little bit of the story behind how you identified it. And since you brought up the challenges you faced, maybe like one good anecdote. Uh, oh my a- goodness! It could about- have been its
2: own reality show. So I'll, I'll pick pick one. But um,
1: well, we could talk about that later. We could talk about developing a reality
2: show. I'm yeah. So yeah. Um, actually, a, a friend now, now friend person I had never met um, was in Greece on his honeymoon, and I happened to be staying in the same. Basin. He's from Brooklyn. And uh, he had identified this property and put it under contract and was in conversations with the management company, design company that owns Rivertown Lodge in Hudson and uh, had said, hey, we're going to do this. I want to do this project. And I was like, well, you in the hotel business? He's like, no, no, no. I work at Sotheby's. I was like, okay, well, this is going to be really hard. And so why don't we have coffee when we get back to Brooklyn? And so one thing led to another and and then was invited to be the, the partner that he wanted was looking for, and um, we bought it in February of twenty, which was good timing in the Catskills yeah. uh, to buy the asset waited six seven months and then and then have done the construction uh, which this property is twenty six log cabins uh twenty four motel rooms and two buildings, an old lodge tavern where we've retrofitted the restaurant, and then there's three houses on the perimeter, two garages. Uh, And it's on 21 acres of land. Uh, And so throughout this project, we have had to, you know, it was not on city sewer or water uh, at all. And so and it's on bedrock. And there's, you know, hundreds of trees here that have been here for 400 years that we did not want to knock down, obviously. So one of the most insane challenges was to dynamite the entire site up without damaging any building or tree put all the city sewer and water into the ground underground, tie it into the, to the storm drains and, and the water of the, of the thing, and then cover it back up and have paths that look like, you know, they've been here for for a while and, and cabins that weren't destructed. So that, uh, you know, God bless our site contractor on that. They're very, very good, but that is not something I've ever even thought about doing. And then everything that came about with that, um, you know, big snow last January, we wake up on like the day after Christmas and the snow had melted so fast. So it went from like zero to 50 and all the water was like flooding the site because we hadn't properly drained it. And like, you know, I thought like all the cabins were going to flood and we figured out how to, to get through that. But that's just one example of, of dozens of just things you could never think could happen have happened here. And, you know, development is persevering through, through problems and, and getting to the finish line. It's just that there were so many here that I, I can't even count them.
0: And do you, what's, what is your role? Once the construction, uh, like for that project, I'm sure it varies a bit. Uh, what's your role once the construction project is over, do you maintain a ownership stake or are you
2: selling that's it? Like, how, does, how does that work? You know, traditionally we're managers too of our hotels, but that's not where I want to take the future of the company. And when you do these boutique hotels, it's a whole different world than, than running the Hampton Inn. So the managers here uh, are our partners and, and they, they own and manage Rivertown. And so this is kind of like their brother or sister property. And uh, we, we maintain, you know, ownership stake. And then, of course, we're involved. I've been more involved in the day to day here just because of how small it is, how close I am to it and how uniquely, you know, involved. I and, mean, you know, we, we finished the pool this summer because it took 15 months for the Department of Health to approve the pool. Uh, so it's just stuff like that where we've still been constructing. We're going to build an event space. So this is a property that we've done. Obviously, it was our first boutique property. So we plan on holding this forever, you know, for a very long time. So this is one that's a little different than, you know, building a Hampton Inn in a college town in the southeast. It's a, so, we can f- so we can find you tending bar at Camp Town on... I mean, I keep threatening that I'm going to do that because um, it sounds so fun, but they they don't want me back there, they said. They <laughs> We have the best margarita. The restaurant is called Casa Susana, and it um, the chef is is got or uh, you know, roots from Mexico, and he's cooked an incredibly authentic uh, uh, you know menu, and it's literally one of the best margaritas I've had in my life.
0: Uh, we're uh, we're in the process of. Um... We're we were supposed to get married, my wife and I, during COVID and we canceled our wedding and then we've subsequently had two kids. But I think we're going to do a small yeah. ceremony in Athens um, next summer. Oh, in Athens, New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We went, we actually, yeah. we, have, we have friends who own the Stewart house.
2: Yeah, um, amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we we actually randomly went there on like one of our first dates before our friends owned it. So we're going to, we're going to just do like a 30 That's person so ceremony. so awesome. Maybe, well, we we might, might come call up next party. time. But-
1: <laughs> yeah, you
2: guys can come over the next time you're, you're up yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, the, margar- the margarita better be as good as you're saying it is, otherwise, turn, <laughs> turn the right around. I promise. Car right around. No, no, I promise.
0: Sorry, I, I derailed the podcast, Connor, and we we might have to we might have to cut out the personal anecdote, but <laughs> well, we'll no, nah,
2: that's what the people connect to is the personal stuff.
1: Totally. Um, we yeah. only want to hear my my personal stuff, not Cooper's personal stuff. Yeah, so I hear you. Where things went wrong.
0: We're we're on that point. We're we're at thirty minutes. I don't know, Lee, if you have any final questions, but I feel like we're probably at a pretty good place to uh, to wrap this up and be respectful of your time. But maybe Lee can Lee always has one more question,
1: so we'll let him throw out the final one. I love yeah, it. I, guess, I guess just um, predictions both nationally and and in the New York City market over the over the next five years. What do you see the hospitality space looking like? You know I know one of the big things for New York City is is group travel from China which hasn't come back, it hasn't come uh, back. Um, and it's in part tied to I guess the the current administration's policies and how that's impacted uh, the the ability of Chinese uh, uh, tourists to get visas so um, what do you expect to see happen in in that space over the next few years there might be a new administration obviously in, in 2024 and that could have an impact but uh, just some back of the envelope predict- predictions. We want to hold them yeah. to them.
2: Yeah, I would say nationally. Let's just start nationally. Um, less projects are going to get built than is currently predicted in any pipeline. It's just there's no way that they're going to happen. And if even if they happen, they're going to take longer for them to build. So I think we're going to see a lot of pause and wait over the next 12 to 18 months until we even kind of have a firm grasp. Okay, Fed's done. We can kind of see a world where rates going kind of have an idea who's going to win the election. Although, I mean, that thing is a, you know, a whole nother story, a whole nother podcast needed for that. But, um, you know, and so because of that, I think that's going to give the existing hotel supply room to, to continue to ramp to the extent that it hasn't back from COVID and will allow um, performance to, to remain solid. I, I think even, you know, I don't I think we're avoiding a major recession at this point, even if it's a mini one, um, most assets are going to be okay if you're not, you have to refi. I think you might see some of those assets trade or there'd be a workout with the bank and then I still think you know southeast, I think we're lucky to just have picked that as a main area to where I'm from will continue to really trend well um even cities that you know Louisville's a great example, like Nashville's becoming too expensive and you move to Louisville like those markets where jobs are moving, jobs are being created, I think that are going to continue to do well. Um, I think that these tourism places that also have business layered in going to continue to do well. And I think New York, from a how is it doing to its peers, is going to continue to do well and, and come back. To the extent that the hotel has to get to 95% occupancy and run these certain rates to be a successful, you know, cash flowing project, that, And and if that's relying on all of the tourism coming back, all of the business traveler coming back and having the meetings, I don't know if that is going to get back to that point without some other demand generator that isn't those things kind of kickstarting it. And then, you know, we're talking about putting casinos. Like that's something that is not there before, uh, that can move the needle a lot uh, and that may help, you know, get them there. Taking the Airbnb stack down from x to x minus whatever and it's down here those are the things that can get it but i do think that new york back to the level it is now and i I only know some of the properties that i know where i know the numbers and it's like wow okay that's pretty good um and then these ones that have restaurants that are able to perform and so many more locals going out and eating um you know i think they'll continue to come back but i don't think i think it'd be a mistake if i owned an asset in the city right now and said let me make sure like the only way it works for me is if we go back to the international travel and business travel they were before, I would be a little reluctant to, to, to do that. I think um, you would need some other stuff or to be able to, for it to be capital stacked to work at a little less than that.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to end, Stephen. Uh, Stephen, this has been really fun. Uh, we really appreciate your time. I guess the last question we have is where can people go to learn more about Mountain Shore Properties and the work you're doing there?
2: www.mountainshoreproperties.com um, and then Stephen at mountainshoreproperties.com I'm open book so email me uh, and happy to, to to chat so thank you guys so much for having me it's been really fun
1: yes great thank you thank you, you so for more on all things real estate and the law subscribe to this and our other podcasts follow Bergstein Flynn Knowlton and Polina on social media Subscribe to our newsletter and go to BFKLawOffice.com. That's BFKLawOffice.com to learn more.